0: Well, all year, we are working our way through the gospel according to John in a sermon series, in a a very long sermon series called Finding Life in Jesus' Name. Finding Life in Jesus' Name is really the big picture theme of the gospel of John. And we see that a little bit uh, every week, don't we? So today we're finishing, or we're not finishing, but we're in John chapter 8, and we're considering the second I am statement of Jesus, and what does it mean for Jesus to say, I am the light of the world. And if this is true, that Jesus is the light of the world, how important is this teaching for us today? in a world that is largely defined by darkness, by chaos and confusion, by dishonor and disrespect, by hatred and violence and war, how much do we need the light of the world? Now, I know that some days and some weeks, perhaps, or even months, I feel the darkness of this world more than at other times. And it can be a heavy burden. It can be discouraging. It can be disturbing. So as followers of Jesus, who claims to be the light of the world, how should we think about this darkness that we see so often? Is there anything that we can do about it? Well, this is exactly what Jesus addresses in our passage for the day. So if you have a Bible or your Bible app, uh, grab it and open it to John chapter eight. We're starting with verse 12. And we'll put the scripture on the screens for you as well. But I just, if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to follow along as well. John chapter eight, starting with verse 12. So we'll unpack this as we go, as we read through a little bit longer passage today. Verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said... I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, we only made it through one verse. Let's pause just for a second and and just get a little context here. Okay, again, as I said, this is the second of seven, John does everything in sevens, second of seven metaphorical I am statements in the Gospel of John. Now, we already saw the statement a few weeks ago where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. We considered that claim. Now, here he says, I am the light of the world. Next week, we're going to get a little more clarity on why these I am statements in John's gospel reveal the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus is claiming to be God. But for today, simply notice the result of believing that Jesus is the light of the world. He says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What does that mean? What darkness is Jesus talking about? And what is the light of life that he refers to here? Well, remember, again, the context. Last week, Justin did an excellent job preaching through the interaction between Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. But he pointed out, that that particular passage may not have been original to John's gospel. If you read it in the, um, starting in verse, chapter 7, verse 53, through chapter 8, verse 11, it might be italicized in your Bibles. And there's a footnote there that talks about that. So whether our current passage comes on the heels of that story or if it really was intended to follow Jesus' teaching in the temple courts during the final day of the festival of the tabernacles, earlier in chapter seven, either way, John says that when Jesus spoke again to the people, he made this claim. Okay, I think we're ready to continue and see if we can learn more about what that means. Look at verse 13. The Pharisees challenged him, here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. "'Jesus answered, "'Even if I testify on my own behalf, "'my testimony is valid, "'for I know where I came from and where I am going, "'but you have no idea where I come from "'or where I am going. "'You judge by human standards. "'I pass judgment on no one, "'but if I do judge, my decisions are true "'because I am not alone. "'I stand with the Father who sent me. "'In your own law, it is written "'that the testimony of two witnesses is true.' I am the one, I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Okay, let's pause here again. There's a lot going on, right? So Jesus makes this claim to be the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Okay, in response, the Pharisees aren't like, tell me more, Jesus. They're like, how can we get the light of, of the world? The religious leaders of their day uh, challenged Jesus, John says. And specifically, the validity, or, or literally the truth of his testimony, this is a formal version, I think, of the schoolyard reply of, Yeah, says who? I don't know if you ever heard that on the playground, but that's what the Pharisees are saying. Like, like says who, Jesus? Says you? Well, they're not totally out of bounds here. Because according to Deuteronomy 19, verse 15 in the Old Testament... Uh, One, quote, one witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of a crime or offense they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Okay, so they bring up this technicality. Jesus, we need one other witness before we will listen to you. Jesus replies, well, it's not just me. I'm not speaking on my own. I stand with the Father who sent me. Now, Jesus has already been talking about God the Father in heaven as his father in John's gospel, and people have already realized that this was an inflammatory claim that would basically put Jesus as equal to God the Father. And I believe that the Pharisees here are not like misunderstanding Jesus. They're trying to push Jesus into making a similar claim here in the temple courts, full of people for the festival of the tabernacles by asking, and where is your father? Now, though Jesus did not come into the world this first time to condemn the world, but to save the world, we saw this back in chapter three, he replies with, I believe, a terrible judgment. For those who were the religious leaders of the day, you do not know me, Jesus says, or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So if the Pharisees understood Jesus to be referring to God as his father and not as a human father, then if I was one of the Pharisees in this day, at the temple that day, I would have been furious with Jesus. What do you mean, I don't know God? Do you know who I am? How dare you, Jesus? Did you study under a famous rabbi? Did you get your advanced theological degree? How long have you led the people of Israel in worship and in religious and moral instruction? Like for two years or something? And you think we know so little? I think it's no wonder that John comments that no one seized him. Because I'm sure several authorities wanted to at this point. And yet, despite these corrective words of Jesus, they didn't seize him. John says, because his hour had not yet come. Now the hour, as we've seen in John's gospel, is a theme that runs throughout. And it refers to the hour of the suffering and the death of Jesus on the cross. But here, before that hour would come, the Pharisees do not seize him. There would come a day when Jesus, when the hour would come and he would be seized. He would be arrested, tried, convicted, condemned, and crucified. But not here. So he continues to teach in verse 21. And you might think that Jesus would consider perhaps walking back, at least, or at least softening some of these inflammatory statements since people were about to try and seize him, but that's not Jesus, okay? He's not afraid of anybody. So look at verse 21. Once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied, I have much to say in judgment of you. But he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. Okay, let's pause one more time. So, typical Jesus, instead of softening anything he was saying, Jesus says, if you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. (laughs) Whoa. Okay, believing in Jesus in this context is probably what Jesus means by saying that we ought to follow him as the light of the world. And the forgiveness of sins is probably what he had in mind when he said that we would not walk in darkness but have the light of life. So I believe this is the teaching, and this is consistent with other passages in John's gospel where Jesus makes this metaphorical statement and followed by teaching where he explains it. What does it mean to be, for Jesus to be the light of the world? And if we follow him, we will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This is the explanation. The explanation is that we follow him by faith in him. We receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life in his name. But this is just an incredibly powerful and subversive claim of Jesus because of when and where he makes this claim. Now, this de- these details might be lost on us with 2,000 years of distance from these. Matters, But Jesus says all this in the middle of the temple courts, near, as John says, where the offerings were made. In other words, at the heart of the place where, according to Jewish thought, heaven and earth came together. And the place where the sins of the people were supposed to be dealt with through the whole sacrificial and priestly system. Now, one aspect that points to this function of the temple is when Jesus says all this, which was during the festival of tabernacles. Now, this festival comes only five days after the most holy day for Israel, which was the Day of Atonement, also known as Yom Kippur. Now according to Leviticus 16, everything that happened on the Day of Atonement, including the ceremonial washing of the high priest, various sacrifices, the confession of the sins of the people on the head of the scapegoat, which was then released into the wilderness, all of this was about atoning or paying or cleansing the sins of the people. Or maybe more accurately, of dealing with the problem of sin in God's people so that God's holy presence could stay with his people and not destroy them but here Jesus says that unless people believe in him unless people follow him as the light of the world they will die in their sins now now the people who heard this radical claim that day in the temple really didn't get it they didn't understand when Jesus says you need to believe that I am he they respond who are you? When he says he's going away, they think, is he gonna kill himself? And when Jesus says, he who sent me is trustworthy, John says they did not understand that he was telling them about his father. Now later, there were many who would understand and believe in him. Later, the Christians realized that the Day of Atonement wasn't enough to deal with the problems of sin and death. It's part of it's a big idea of the whole letter of Hebrews in the New Testament. But instead, the day of atonement that had been practiced by the people of God for over a thousand years, in fact, pointed forward to the person and work of Jesus, who was the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist said, who died on the cross to finally and fully atone or pay for or cleanse the sins of the world. Okay, but before the hour, before the cross, People just didn't fully understand who Jesus was or what he came to do. But, however, there was still hope. Let's finish this with verse 28. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. This is God's word. Okay, so Jesus has yet another wild day to his teaching ministry. At certain points, it looks like he's going to be arrested. Perhaps some people were upset. A bunch of people don't get what's going on. Uh, At other points, it might seem like some of the people were going to try to seize him and make them their king. (laughs) But Jesus just has this in the center of all this swirling chaos. He has this poise. He has this confidence. And John tells us why here at the end of this passage. And this is so significant when you think of the mentality and the attitude of Christ. The one who sent me is with me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. For Jesus, the fact that his father in heaven was with him was all he needed. He didn't need to be perfectly understood. He didn't need to be liked by everyone, he was secure. And some of us today need to learn this security. But at any rate, this passage closes with another reference to the cross of Christ. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, Jesus says, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. We have the work and the words of Jesus. We have his work on the cross and we have his message, the word. Then you'll know that what I'm speaking is from the Father. In other words, when I have been lifted up on the cross, then you'll understand who I am and what I am doing. However, this phrase might point past the cross as well or perhaps through the cross to the resurrection because the word that John uses for lifted up can also mean exalted. And John does this throughout his gospel. John is artsy. He uses interesting language. He uses interesting signs and I am statements. He's got, the picture we've used from the beginning is that he has curated an art gallery for us. This is just another example of John's artistry. When you have exalted the Son of Man, then you'll know who I am and what my message is all about. Now, maybe John means for us to think of both the cross and the empty tomb. That's what I think. But in response, John says that as Jesus spoke these words, even though the people didn't fully understand what he was talking about at this time, he says that many believed in him. They trusted him. They took him at his word. Now, this, I think this is just a wild passage, right? <laughs> it's just a regular day for Jesus in his teaching ministry. I would need a nap after this uh, encounter, but Jesus just seems to continue on. Well, all the way back in the prologue of John's gospel in John chapter one, John set us up for this teaching by writing these words. Just listen to this. In him, meaning in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own Meaning his own people, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And we see all of that in this passage, don't we? Except, we do, except for the, the part at the very end of becoming children of God. But guess what comes next week? Very, the very next passage, we get into whose children are the children of God. Well, with that, what does, this, what does this passage mean for us today? How do we apply this to our lives? Well, I could end with a meditation on the idea of Jesus being the light of the world. And the Bible is full of references to light, that God is light, that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Or the promise of God in Isaiah that when the Messiah would come, he would be a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation, says the Lord, may reach the ends of the earth. And there's a lot of other light passages in scripture. But in a few weeks, with the story of Jesus healing the blind man, we're gonna come back to this theme of seeing with spiritual sight Jesus as the light of the world. John slowly and expertly develops this theme of Jesus being the light and what that means in this whole middle section of his gospel. So instead today, I'd like to focus a little bit more on the darkness than on the light. If you notice in this passage, it's way more about the darkness than it is about the light. We have the statement of Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, and then virtually nothing else about the light. Right? Okay, so because, because in this passage, I think we, it reveals the nature of the darkness that we see in this world. And once we understand this the darkness properly, I think that we'll see that what John is describing here and what Jesus was facing that day so many years ago is the exact same source of the darkness that pervades our world today. So the biblical picture of our world is not just that we have a little problem of darkness here and there. In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul refers to our world today as a whole dominion of darkness, a kingdom of darkness, as opposed to the kingdom of the beloved Son of God. And this dominion of darkness that we are a part of is influenced by many things, by the lies of the devil, and it is marked by chaos and confusion and ultimately destruction and death. But confusion about what exactly? Well, I don't think it takes a whole lot of introspection, honestly, to see that people are confused about all manner of things today. How are we supposed to live? How should we spend our money? How do we raise these kids? Who should we be in authority? And how should they govern? And on and on. There's so much confusion about how the basic functions of life ought to go. Isn't that strange? We're not the first generation of human beings. How have we not made more progress with these basic ideas and questions of life? Because it's a dominion of darkness. But on a deeper level, the foundation, the source of all this confusion is the confusion that people in the temple had that day, including the religious leaders, and they display in this passage that we covered. They do not understand and they do not believe in who Jesus is and who God the Father in heaven is or what God is doing in the world. And this isn't just a religious question. If God created all things, then this is confusion and a lack of faith in the foundational fabric of reality. Look at the questions of the people in this passage. Why should we believe your testimony, Jesus? Where is your father? Are you going to kill yourself? Who are you? What John is arguing here is that the darkness of this world and by extension the source, the headwaters of all the darkness in the world is failing to believe in Jesus who fully reveals who God is and what God has done and what he has promised to do. A work that culminates in his own death and resurrection which has forever broken the power of sin and death. The darkness... This darkness of failing to know and accept the revelation of God and the person and work of Jesus Christ, this is the source, according to the Bible, of all of the chaos and the confusion of this dark world. But praise God, because Jesus has come, and he is the light of the world. So what do we as followers of Jesus do in response to the, the ocean of darkness around us in this world. Well, consider the ministry of Jesus. Follow him. He came not only to teach, but he came to feed those who were hungry and free those who were enslaved and to heal those who were sick, to restore those people who are outside into community and purpose once again. And yet he didn't just come to meet the physical or emotional needs of the people. He also came with a message. He came to proclaim the good news of God, that in him and through him, God the Father was working out his promised rescue mission. And so it is by faith in Jesus that men and women are freed from this dominion of darkness and delivered into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus, the light of the world. But how? How can it be that this kingdom is received simply by believing in Jesus? How did he accomplish this work? Well, again, friends, it was on the cross. Remember, darkness fell over the land. On the cross, in the hour of his suffering and death. This was when Jesus bore our darkness. It was on that day that Jesus fulfilled everything that the day of atonement was pointing towards for countless generations. And what was the result? The result was that there would be a way that we could become children of light. Born again, born anew, now in the world, but no longer of it. So so we might be people who could be a light as well. So may we be people, church, who shine a light into into the dark places of this city and into this world. May we be people who work to stop and reverse and restore the effects of darkness around us. But may we be people who never tire of telling others this good news, the story of a king, a king of light, who broke into this kingdom of darkness to redeem us and who is indeed the light of the world. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, please help us Help us to see who you are truly and help us to believe your word. And Lord Jesus, I pray for the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives and our hearts and our minds today. Fill us with your spirit, Lord, so that we might be able to be people who are a light into the darkness around us. Lord, would you lead us if there's an area of darkness in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our own lives, would you help us to turn from that and shine the light of your, the goodness of your gospel into that darkness so that we might experience the freedom of forgiveness of sin and, and the light of life once again. If there's a, a friend, if there's a friend Family member, Lord, if there's someone in our path this week who is struggling under the burden of the darkness of this world, I pray that you give us the words to say that we might be agents of your light and we might offer a word of hope, a word of encouragement, a word of truth to them. Lord Jesus, we cannot wait for your return. We cannot wait for your promise that one day you will make all things new because the weight of this dark world is heavy. And so in the meantime, Lord, we trust you, and we love you, and I pray that you would give us the power to follow you as our light well, not just for, not for our name, not for this church, but Lord, for your glory, for you are glorious. You are the light. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.